everybody and welcome to the Champions Cast here on ZeldaDungeon.net. This is episode number 17. My name is Andy Spateri and I'm joined by Taylor Wells. How you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. Just uh, coming off the E3 buzz as we were last week and having a extraordinarily terrible Ocarina of Time practice run. But other than that, pretty good. Yeah, I, f- I feel you about some of those practice runs. Uh, of course, the Zelda Dungeon Marathon is just right around the bend. We have the uh, countdown up on the website, which right now sits at something like 13 days, 8 hours, 4 minutes, 6 seconds. Um, so that's going to be starting on the 14th. Man, so it is time flies. imminently. Yeah, time flies. Time flies. Uh, and of course, both Taylor and myself are going to be at the Zelda Dungeon Marathon. We're going to be running a few Zelda games. Um, but I And I also want to take this opportunity to plug some of the merchandise we got going on for the show right now. Um, if you head over to teespring slash store slash Zelda Dungeon, you'll be able to check out some of the merchandise that we got going on. You'll have your uh, Zelda Dungeon Marathon 2018 t-shirts. You'll have t-shirts representing a friend of the show, Gooey Fame, Team Gooey Fame t-shirts. But most importantly, you're going to have those Heel Spateri shirts. That's right. I have my own shirt. I designed it on MS Paint. Like a true OG, it is available for purchase right now. Men's sizes, lady sizes, hoodies. I ordered a hoodie and a t-shirt, so there you go. I'm super, super sad. I uh, I lack all forms of skill when it comes to MS painting, photoshopping, yada, yada, yada. So I, uh, and I didn't have a friend who I could have commissioned in time to do my own shirt design. So instead, I bought one of Team Spateri's shirts, as well as Gooey's shirt. So you'll see That's me rocking right. those at the marathon. And now you can look as cool as Taylor wearing your Moblin Club Heel Spateri t-shirt Head over to teespring.com slash store slash Zelda Dungeon. Pick yours up today. I think that was the first ever plug that we've done at the show for like something where you actually buy. Is that right? Uh, it, especially so. in relation to like Zelda Dungeon merchandise. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. 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 We didn't do too bad of a job at that. I don't think. Yeah, I think we did pretty well, especially the fact that, you know, finally once for once, you know, Andy acknowledges that at least in his merch, I do look cool. Well, and only in my merch. Let's not get it twisted. Right. Um, <laughs> so as Taylor was alluding to, uh, even though E3 was like going on a month ago now, we are still just creatively bankrupt from the process. So we decided what better way to give back to you guys for supporting our very first live show and for just being really cool with us during E3 week than to open up the mailbag, which we haven't done in, uh, hey, it's been it's been a while yeah, uh, at least I think episode. I think like a month and a half at least, maybe two. Yeah, probably about that. Uh, so you know, we we had a nice quiet week full of Zelda stuff, and uh, we decided that you know, let's uh, let's get our audience in on the show. So we asked for a bunch of questions, and this episode is going to be all about diving into those questions, getting our hot takes about Zelda, and uh, just having a fun old time. The mailbag shows are always a little bit of a a looser, kind of a funner show, so I'm looking forward to it. Loosey goosey, but super fun. I I think we uh, we have a lot of a lot of good moments in these shows where we can kind of cut loose have... on our on our true opinions, you know. 
That is right. We have some good questions. We have some awful questions. We have some questions that are in between. Uh, yeah, so let's every, just dive right time, into it. Every time we do these shows, too, it's it's the same conversation between us where we're like, okay, who wants to go into the chat to risk the wrath of the question gods? Yeah, usually these shows are best done late at night with a, with a beer or two, but here we are midday on Saturday. So let's just dive right in. First question, actually the first three questions come from a user named Skip. And his first question is to Taylor and asks, why do you dislike The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker so much? Well, this is a, it's a bit of a long-winded explanation, but I'll keep it, I'll keep it a little shorter and maybe we can do... I, we keep promising this. We'll have to we, do it eventually. We are going to do, yeah, we're going to do a full-blown episode on this uh, coming coming soon. Yeah. So, uh, but I will skip. If, yeah, I, I, just hold on. You'll get your full answer. We'll give you this, though, for now. Yeah, that's true. We'll, we'll definitely, I'll definitely go way more into detail on this later, but I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit more for you guys because I know it's just been bits and pieces over previous Champions cast episodes, but... You know, Wind, Wind Waker is an interesting case for for Zelda because it it came at like what a time it came out. You know, we were just on the heels of both Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, and you know, Nintendo comes out of left field with this presentation of, of the Wind Waker in this new cartoon style and this new like really colorful world. And, like, part of it obviously is, does have to do with, you know, my love for Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and, and that kind of style. And that is definitely my favorite style of Zelda. So there's a little bit of a moment where I was like, I don't know if I can kind of get into this kind of, you know, art or, or graphical representation. But when I bought the game, I was like, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna give it a shot and I move past that. So I got it, and then unfortunately I just felt that they tried to replicate the reality of what, you know, exploring the sea is, which is a lot of emptiness and blue and sky and not much else. And while I appreciate a game trying to be realistic, at the same time, you've got to have something in there to maintain my attention. So there's that problem. Then there was the fact that, like, the dungeons just weren't that impressive to me. They felt very... They felt very short, and they felt very... I don't want to say uninspired, because I, I, I feel I it's wrong. I don't know I, if I agree with that. I don't agree with that either. I just feel like they, they weren't... They just weren't there for me. I, I, without going right. into like 10 minutes of conversation about it but and then last but not yeah, least I'm, I'm going to cut you off we're going to save this for a future episode and we're going to go we're going to go in depth and uh, we're going to talk beforehand and we'll we'll get to the bottom of it during that show alright you didn't like the dungeons though really I thought the dungeons were, yeah. were pretty cool mm. Um. okay so also from Skip and this is what we're going to spend a little bit of time on what have we been doing in terms of prep for the upcoming Zelda Dungeon Marathon? Have we learned any tricks, practice at all, etc.? Uh, so we've both practiced. We're actually in the midst of practicing um, right now. We yes. did a uh, we did an Ocarina of Time run together since we're both going to be running this game. 
Uh, that was last week or something like that. And uh, it didn't go really that great. It went, it, for, for me, it went okay, I'd say. I'd rate it at like a 6 or 7 out of 10 with probably an hour or so that could be cut off. Um, and there's just a, there's a lot of stuff. You have to look at the game differently when you're trying to finish it through the perspective of finishing it as quickly as you can versus like get everything there is to get. And I struggle with that. Absolutely. I mean, my run could not have gone worse. I don't think like it was, it was crazy. And it's so funny too, because we were also talking about how, the, this game is both of our favorites and we've run through mm-hmm. this game so many times that we've both lost count and uh, conventionally speaking there's not a lot to this game that we don't really know but when you're speed running it like for the first time especially i think it, it's impressive how much you just forget on the spot whether that's because of pressure, you also get or... that frame of mind too, where it's just like, man, I got to do this so fast, so fast. So you just you forget the things that you normally do. Like, I I don't think I've ever got caught sneaking into Hyrule Castle before by the guards. I was caught like three times doing it this time. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. It's just like those, it's like those little things that it's like, ugh, of course this happens while you're trying to finish it as fast as possible. Well, um, so it... to answer that question, yeah, we've been practicing. And now that you but, mention it, uh, it was it was crazy too because like the first three dungeons, I felt like, oh yeah, this isn't going to be bad at all, because everything was going right for me in the first three dungeons. And then once I got to the adult segment, like everything just fell apart. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I would say that there were some dungeons that I really struggled with that I didn't think that I would. Um such as the Forest Temple, which is, like, my favorite dungeon ever. And it took me way longer than it should have. And the Shadow Temple, which is, like, a pretty straightforward linear temple. But I just kept dying. And, I... like, the, and then there were things like the Water Temple and Jabba Jabba's Belly, which I was kind of apprehensive about. And I, I did them no problem. So yeah. It's weird uh, how that all goes down. It, it was the it was kind of the same for me. Like the the water temple, I knew going in was going to be bad. I didn't realize how bad it was going to be until I got in there. And yeah, hint hint stream. It took me about two and a half hours to get through that that dungeon because I literally forgot everything. I even forgot how to walk, how to think, you know, everything. But Shadow Temple and Spirit Temple were the surprisers for me. Like they they just royally kicked my butt in that I I was not. I guess I just wasn't expecting to not tackle them as efficiently as I normally do. Like, Shadow Temple is great all the way up until Bongo Bongo, where I forgot to get a fairy. And I was literally on the last hit on Bongo Bongo on my first attempt, and I got I got hit by by one of the hands on accident, and I only had two hearts left, so I died. And I was like, oh, crap. And then Spirit Temple, I just got turned around like three times, which is absurd considering how linear that dungeon is. I think that the the biggest thing for me that I was surprised at that just like completely like boned me on, on my run was I think I spent probably about 30 minutes beneath the well, which is like ridiculous. And I, I couldn't remember where to get the lens of truth. I was trying to go through all the rooms that had like... Um, the fake floors and stuff like that but of course without the lens of truth you can't see so you keep on falling and it's just like 
I was getting super flustered and then I almost like turned around to leave and I was like, oh my God, the, the entrance is, the lens of truth is at the entrance at the very beginning of this temple. I could have been in and out in about two seconds. Yeah. So was, that was frustrating. It was like we forgot, you know, the whole design behind that dungeon is not for a speedrunning part. It's for you, it's one of the only dungeons where you get the item immediately and the item is, is meant to be used to fully explore the rest of the, of the dungeon, get the cool little small things that you absolutely don't need at all in the game, mm -hmm. but are, you know, fun little things to do. Uh, so other things that we've done, we both did a run through of the Minish Cap and uh, finished with some respectable times with some areas to be improved. So I don't think either of us are really worried about that game. That's like a five, six hour game, probably. Um, so we're going to be sitting pretty okay for that. Uh, I'm having a just absolutely miserable run of Twilight Princess right now. Like, couldn't be going any worse. I... <laughs> I don't, I don't even want to talk about it, actually, because I just finished playing Twilight Princess, and I was just like, ah, I'm sick of this game. So that should tell you all you need to know about how that's going. Um, I'm going, I myself, I'm playing both uh, CDI games. I'm playing The Wind of Gamelon and Faces of Evil, and so uh, I'm not practicing for those. I've never played them before. I'm My only, my only preparation for that is I'm going to drink a lot of Malort, which is like a really bitter, bad-tasting Chicago alcohol. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go ham. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Uh, I think I'm technically playing those games, too, just because I'll be there. And like Kevin was saying, hey, anybody and everybody who wants to try it might as well. So we'll see. But I have no way of play like practicing those games at all. So that'll be my literal first experience with them. Yep, mine too. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, so... To answer another part of that question, have you learned any tricks? No. <laughs> uh, unless you call, unless you call dying on Bongo Bongo twice a trick, I, I don't think I've learned anything. I kind of did like the the uh, Morpha trick after the fact, but I don't know if I'm good enough at that to to actually pull it off. So I've actually learned two tricks for uh, Majora's Mask. They're they're technically the same trick. Uh, and I learned a third and a fourth one that I won't use in it because it's actually just more efficient to do to do it the the route the way I have it routed. But right. there's a there's a really neat trick that uh, Kevin taught me when I was first practicing the run about two and a half months ago, three months ago, and it's 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 super neat and super useful in in a glitchless speed run. And I, I, I have a blast pulling it off, especially when I do it first try. Um, so also from Skip, what's our perspective on the marathon? And what are we looking forward to and not looking forward to? I think... Uh, I'm not looking forward to looking like an ass if I finish in like last, last place in all my games. So that's what I'm not looking forward to. I'm, I'm hoping to put in a respectable performance. I think I don't mind, like, ending up in last as long as, like, it wasn't a shameful display, you know? So, like... Yeah. I, I can be in last by about, like, 30 minutes. Anything longer than 30 minutes and where everybody is watching me, I'm just like, oh, God. Yeah. like I, I feel as, it's the same thing with, like, Minish Cap because the, the first couple of eliminations of that race are going to be really quick. And I feel mm -hmm. like... I you know we're all pretty good with probably the first three temples I want to say 
at the very least. And so, like, yeah, if I, I get so. if I get eliminated in the first temple, I'm not going to be upset about that because it's going to be super, super close. Like, it'll be within, you know, probably a few seconds or maybe even a minute of somebody else. Uh, or, or like, the second will be really interesting because we got to see who has optimized their way of getting up that damn mountain. Mount Cornell is, oof. Yeah, I feel like that'll be the the worst part. It's the water temple of um, the Minish Cap. I feel. So what are you looking forward to? I would say I'm looking forward to almost everything else aside from, you know, looking like a boob if I finish in like dead last. Um, I'm looking forward to checking out the uh, the greater Chicago area. I think that'll be cool. Um, getting to meet all my, my Zelda Dungeon colleagues in person. So, yeah, other than that, I think like what's not to like or what's not to look forward to. Definitely, definitely. The the social aspect I think is one of the bigger draws of it in that, you know, we're we're all coworkers who live in various places across the world. We've got people in Europe, we've got, you know, folks up in Canada like yourself, we've got peeps in the US. I mean, there's 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 a king in every castle, so to speak, so being able to, to meet a good a good majority of them is is nice and fun. And then, you know, being able to raise money for charity while playing games that we love, even if we're not super big fans of speedrunning, some of us at least. Uh, it's it's a great time. Definitely the two people on this show. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, I, I'm one of those guys who will, will play a Zelda game and, you know, want to stream like a 100% run of it and just take my time through it. But when it comes to speedrunning, I'm just kind of like, oh, I'll definitely do it and I'll, and I'll try it. But it's... It's not it's not the thing I enjoy the most about about that. No, I, I'm with you. I play I'll play a game like Twilight Princess, for example. I probably only played it this maybe like four or five times, but when I play it I just play it completely and I play it for everything that it's worth. It's like everything is done when I play it. Yeah. And uh I I've I very much like like Breath of the Wild, like I've played I played it once, right? But like that one time had like 200 plus hours and, and everything was finished except for all the Korok seeds because nobody wants to do that. It was but, as uh, complete. That, as that's kind of how I play is like everything is done. And like, I, I get my hours into that game. So definitely. Get and, your then when the, and when, when the itch comes a couple years later, I'm just like, all right, well it's time to like do it all over again. Now, you know, every shrine, every, you know, every, uh, everything that you can possibly get. Makes sense to so, me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, two weeks, two weeks and we will actually not even in 12 days we're going to be in chicago yeah less than two weeks so there you go all right our next question those are like the serious questions the next question we asked a bunch of people on discord and uh you know we results are always uh, mixed when you when you ask people on discord anything but uh, these re- results were especially mixed because i think we asked it about 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night, so I think the very Nevertheless, least they'll be here are questions. They definitely will be. Um, <laughs> all right, so this question is from Japis. Is that how you would say that? Japis, 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 Hoppus, Japis, something. The question verbatim is: Who's best girl, Urbosa, Mifa, or Zelda? Oof! No question mark. Hmm. This is I know your answer. For me, so I'll let you go. I know your answer, and I think mine is the same. Like, I love Mifa. Don't get me wrong. Like, she's not my favorite 
Zelda girl, so to speak, but she's she's got some really cool qualities, I think, and fun qualities. But I have to go with Urbosa. Like, she's just the epitome of badassery and, like, this Gerudo power woman who takes no crap from nobody but is still sweet, kind, and caring. And, of course, voiced by the wonderful, wonderful Elizabeth Maxwell. Like, you can't go wrong. Elizabeth Maxwell, friend of the show. Um, No, I, that, she's not my best girl. I I hate to say it. Uh, Urbosa, Urbosa to me is just like the strong, independent, badass woman. And like, if I if I'm thinking shipping, of course it's Mifa. Mifa's so adorable. She's so cute. She's so she's so lovely. Mifa, I love Mifa. I don't get I don't get why so many people dislike Mifa. Going back into Cave of Trials, which we ran on Zelda Dungeon. People were just like absolutely up in arms over Mifa than that she was the champion and that she was beating characters like Midna and characters like Zelda. What what's not to like about Mifa? She's great. It's it's interesting. Just like you know, when you look at a, a large group of people with so many varying opinions, it's it's always fun when you have those kinds of matchups. And, like, no matter what, like, the result sometimes just goes completely opposite to what you ever expect. And just to see the reasonings behind that, you know? <laughs> like, I, I don't understand it, but... No, it doesn't make sense. Like, what what's not to like about her? She's kind, she... As a good sister to her little brother, she she has the best champion's power that that saves your ass whenever you're in trouble. She, you know, what's I don't know. I I, I don't understand why so many people don't like her, which actually bleeds over into our next question. Because speaking of people that don't like Mifa for whatever reason, we had a question from definitely not a wombat over on the Zelda Dungeon Discord. Can you describe Mifa's defining personality traits? without using the synonyms of love and link. Yeah, we discussed this at the be- a little bit prior to starting. Um... How, how about this? I would say the primary trait that I think of when I think of Mifa, and maybe it's only because this is the name of her power, but I think of Grace. The way that she speaks is very gracefully. The way that she was... Uh, um, I guess interacting with uh, with a young Prince Sidon with the young or with Link, I would say, is very graceful. The way that she carries herself is very graceful. Um, that immediately comes to mind for me. I think that Mifa's grace is very aptly named. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of her defining personality traits for sure. I think for me, it it borders on a synonym but not really i would go with uh compassionate or compassion i feel yeah. i feel she's a very caring person and you know without even going into her storyline or her relationship with link you know what is there and what isn't there it's like her her overall just like she cares about the world she cares about her brother she cares about zelda she cares about you know the fate of what's going on and she does every as shy as she is and i think that's that might be a contributing factor to why people aren't as big fans of her 
is is her her outward shyness so to speak but like she's just so caring and she's so compassionate and she's so she's so strong in her own ways and she shows she shows mm-hmm. that in a bunch of different ways from how she you know helps raise Sidon to you know her her aiding of Link in his quest and and her conversations with Zelda as well so compassion would, I would be mine there's uh, I'm trying to think of maybe the best word for this. Um, this isn't probably the best word, but uh, diplomatic, mm. I think. Yeah. She the way that she spoke to Zelda when uh, when the two of them were together when Gan came back. Um, I mean, you could tell that maybe it's a little bit of a frosty relationship between the two because they both, you know, they both fell for Link, but she was very respectful. She was very acknowledging of Zelda and her position and, and what, you know, what the princess's role was and what hers was like diplomatic would have been a good way to put it. Maybe she was um, quite graceful. Yeah, like, honestly, like, again, I come back to Grace. And, like, and kind of, like, to go along with that, Grace, it's gentle might be another word that uh, that you could describe it. I would say she's um, she's definitely the... gentle, but she's also, like, firm in her beliefs and her, her commitments to what she's going to do. Uh, yeah, I, I more so mean gentle, I think, in the way that she speaks. Yeah, a like gentle her, soul her... kind of thing. Yeah, the way that she comes across is just as a very gentle, and and that's not in, like, a derogatory way at all. Um, but that's just like what I would think of when I think of that. So yeah, there's, there's lots of, there's lots more to Mifa than like, oh, she's just a fish in love with Link. I don't know. I don't get that. I I don't know why people just rag on Mifa so much. I, I thought that she was a great character for Breath of the Wild. Um, and Breath of the Wild was, was short on great characters aside from its main cast, other than... Link and Zelda, you really only have Verbosa, Mifa, and maybe Sidon that, to me, really stood out as characters. She really a fish, so though, considering her brother is a shark. Well, I don't know. That's that's a good question, actually. Well, that's, that's for another. Ca- yeah, that's that's one for yeah. another cast. <laughs> anyway, but, but aren't are are sharks not like fish? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I think technically they're not like. They're they're obviously sea creatures, but I don't think they are in the if same we category. If we were to look up, if we were to look up, like it's like dolphins aren't fish either for for fish. I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get way off track here. So um, honestly, though, our next question isn't much better. So this is from Daniel. Does Zelda have a crush on Ganon? Given he is stronger, sexier. And has women, no doubt, making Zelda jelly. Well, first of all, Zelda wouldn't be jelly if she didn't have a crush on Ganon. And that is very much in dispute. So there's that. So the last part of this question is, uh, is you know, null and void. Until we figure out the answer to the first part of the question, does Zelda have a crush on Ganon, given that he is stronger and sexier? Now, I propose to you this, Taylor. If Ganon has been defeated by Link time and time again is he really stronger you know that's yeah i mean well okay 
from certain standpoints, and in different games, I would argue that yeah, Ganon is like physically and even and definitely magically superior to Link. But you know, all thing being all things being said, like whether it's through sheer willpower or courage or you know, ingenuity and item usage and the fact that Link has an endless void pocket and his trousers that allow him to carry, you know, the entire world's worth of items at a glance. Yeah, He's it, got that thing that Harry Potter had. Right? The, or, hey, better yet, the D&D, it's uh, equivalent, you know, the, the bottomless bag, the, the bag of holding. But, you know... You could definitely make the argument that Ganondorf is stronger in some ways, but I agree, considering he loses all the time to Link, I don't see why, from that perspective, Zelda would right. be more attracted to him than anybody else. So we've broke down that Zelda is not jealous, and that Z- that Link is, in fact, stronger than Ganon. So the only question is, is about the, is Ganon sexier than Link? And for this, we have to go and look at the different games. I think that we can probably safely say that Zelda wouldn't think that Beast Ganon is sexier than Link. So we can take uh, we can take a Link to the Past Zelda out of this. And let's look at some other incarnations of Zelda. So Skyward Sword, Ganon was actually there, so we can take her out. In Breath of the Wild, Ganon was Calamity Ganon and not he was just a big cloud in the sky, so we could probably rule him out too. So Really, we're just talking about Twilight Princess and Ocarina of Time. Now, in Ocarina of Time... And Wind Waker. That's true. And Wind Waker, I guess, yeah. But he was he was ugly in Wind Waker, so let's just take him out. Hey, man, some people like him thick, okay? Oh, man, no. So in Ocarina, in Ocarina of Time, Zelda is, in fact, a child when Ganondorf is, let's say, in his mid-20s, if they're going by that same kind of counting in Hyrule time. So the age difference there is probably too much for... Uh, you know, a crush to, to happen. So let's take that one out as well. So really only stuck with Twilight Princess. Now, given that Ganon seizes Zelda and mind controls her in Twilight Princess, I don't know if that would be like, you know, a sexy thing to do. So I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, if, if Zelda does have a crush on Ganon. I don't even know why we're debating this, but at this point, I'm going to say, yeah, no. All right. Well, there you go, Daniel. There's a very, very, very thorough answer to your question. Oh, I'll bring up one last point just for the sake of it. And it's yes. going to it's gonna get slightly lewd, but think about it. Whenever you see fan art of the Zelda series, tell me which one you see more of. Lewd fan art of Zelda and or Link or lewd fan art of Ganondorf. <laughs> that that is very true. I bet you you see more fan art of Link and Ganondorf than you do of Zelda and Ganondorf. Oh, of that I can confirm. Probably. All right, moving right along. Next question. It comes from Julian. Julian asks, "What are the most dangerous quests that any incarnation of Link?" has ever had to face. Now, I feel like 
like a quest like are we talking like a side quest or are we talking like a main quest because i mean you could argue the merits of every quest like every every game lincoln barks on you know a bunch of dangerous stuff uh i would say let's limit it to the main quests i guess well in in that case i would say that the most dangerous quest that link can take is going straight from the shrine of resurrection to ganon's castle because he has three hearts, everything there is infinitely stronger, and he's going to go up against Calamity Ganon in uh, his underwear, basically. But I mean, so that it doesn't get much more dangerous than that. But I consider that a strength, because at least if he's naked, Ganon might be a little distracted. Well, probably not, though. I mean, he's he's like this cloud pig thing. He, he's not going to be distracted by that. Yeah, but we just discussed how there's much more fan art of naked Ganon and naked Link than there is of... Yeah, but how much fan art is there of Calamity Ganon and naked Link? I bet you not very much. Uh, well... I hope anyone listening to this isn't Googling right now to see, because we're not Googling. Yeah. I'm okay being in the dark about that. Hashtag don't Google this. Hashtag um, Google it. So I would say... I would say, how about this for uh, for uh, other answer? There's a certain point in Breath of the Wild where you go. I think it's where you go and get the tunic of the wild, but it's like um, it's in the Faron forest, and you uh, and, and there's like a million guardians there, the the stationary ones that are shooting beams at you, and you're going deeper into this like ruined temple, and you got to get your stuff there, and it's just like it's super dicey trying to get to where you actually need to go. So I would say that that was pretty. Pretty dangerous as well. You know, I I agree with you for the most part. I I would put as a runner-up, or maybe even <clears throat> potentially a little riskier. But Ocarina of Time, or even Majora's Mask. But I'll stick with the Ocarina of Time because I I can argue Majora's Mask all day for something else. But for Ocarina, like you you're you're talking about a nine-year-old boy who is going up against things that are much larger than him, much more experienced than him. Uh, he's just going into a cavern full of man-eating dinosaurs and, well, rock-eating dinosaurs because they eat Gorons. Um, you know, it like the amount of challenges he has to go through, then, you know, fast forward, he manages to complete all that and then gets sealed away for seven years. So now you have a 16-year-old Link with the mind with the mind of a nine-year-old child, trying to face all of these obstacles in his path. And I, I'm just thinking to myself, like, first of all, how how long would it take him to get used to being in an adult bot or a teenage body, as opposed to, you know, oh, I was four foot tall. 10 minutes ago, now I'm like 5'6 or 5'7, however tall Teen Link is in Ocarina of Time. It's 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 madness okay. to me. And he's going up against a warlock who is like the strongest Gerudo and, and magic user in the land next to Zelda. That's crazy. Who, who also uh, yeah, has the Triforce I, I of so. Power? I guess, I guess that'd be pretty dangerous. He also has the Triforce of Power. It turns into a giant monster with two swords who takes away more than three quarters of your HP if you don't get the damn protection magic. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this, too, before we move on. The dangerous would be Link's Awakening. Mm, Awakening true. that island, not knowing exactly what is going to happen to you. The fate of yourself and the fate of everyone else on that island. So heading into that Brave Unknown is pretty 
pretty dangerous as well. 100% agree on that so one. I will just say that. 100%. Um, this next question is from Japis. Oh, Yapis again. Which game has the worst beginning? Twilight Princess, Wind Waker, Skyward Sword, or Ocarina of Time? And let's be frank, it's not even close. Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess. I... Twilight Princess is such a slog for the first probably hour and a bit. It is the slowest, worst, most tedious intro to a game. And I just played this yesterday, so I'm fresh off of all the excitement of herding goats, catching fish, getting baby baskets. It is just exhilarating stuff. And it takes you like literally an hour. And you have to you have to talk with all those little kids in the village and they look like little gremlins and it's super awful. It takes so long for that game to get going. It is just absolutely insane. At least when you start with Wind Waker and Skyward Sword, you have the the charming you know other inhabitants of the island or the uh, or Skyloft and Ocarina of Time has a awesome intro I think but Twilight Princess good God even the intro with Midna is is awful because then you gotta you gotta slum around the castle for a little bit and like the whole world is just super drab especially when you're in the Twilight realm um, everything is like monochromatic and it's just like it's it's makes me want to pull my hair out just thinking that i have to run this game again in like a week after i just did it so it's i don't know maybe some people are really into herding goats but not me it's ironic because again we we're talking about all these kinds of things you know before the show even even before some of these questions too uh because they're like we our conversations when it comes to like twilight princess tend to revolve you know, around the around the same points because we both agree on on a lot of our opinions towards the game, and I, I it always brings me back to kind of like with with Wind Waker too. It's like conceptually, from a concept standpoint, you know, I love the idea of exploring Link's everyday life. I love the idea of getting to know Link more as as a person because I've always been. I, I get that he's the avatar of the character and kind of stuff, and that's always how he's been, but I've always been a huge fan of Link as his own person, as his own character. So anytime I get the opportunity to explore that story, it's great. So, But like with The Wind Waker, where the concept of, oh yeah, I get to explore the ocean, I get to sail around, and I get to find all these new things and do all that kind of stuff, the execution of it just ended up being a lot un, really underwhelming compared to my expectations, I guess. I, I don't know nothing nothing even comes close to Twilight Princess for me and just like I can't imagine you know someone starting someone who's never played the Legend of Zelda before picking up Twilight Princess and firing that intro up and just being like yeah this is gonna be awesome yeah you're absolutely like, right and I imagine that Twilight Princess was a lot of people's first Zelda games so or, and it's a lot of people's me it's just favorite like, Zelda game too ugh. like well, you know what, and it definitely does pick up after the intro, but the intro is just such a slog that it's it's just like, yikes. yeah, I, you know, if, if I wouldn't have been a diehard Zelda fan back in the day, would I have stuck with this? Probably, but the fact that I even have to ask just shows you how bad it is. That, yeah, I was about to bring up that same point. I was going to say, you know, if you're if you're one of those people who, you know, decides within the first 15 minutes to an hour of a game whether it's worth playing or not, Twilight Princess might have turned you away. <laughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely. 
So, uh, Twilight Princess, I think, for sure. Uh, okay, next question is from Ivy Wing. Why can't Zelda find a way to save herself from Ganon? Uh, I don't know that that's an entirely fair question, especially in recent years, because, I mean, she more or less sealed herself away in Breath of the Wild to prevent Ganon from um, uh, uh, getting more power. So that was kind of self-induced. She she did the same kind of thing in Skyward Sword, where she was uh, on her own quest and then sealed herself away in order to uh, in order to give Link a chance to fight evil. Um, I don't know if I would say she was captured necessarily in Twilight Princess. More as like it was a diplomatic move, where like she basically surrendered herself so that her people wouldn't get slaughtered. Yeah, I think there's this common misconception about Zelda and how she's always so powerless, helpless, or weak. And I think, really, it's only the very initial Zelda games that even really gave off that impression to begin with. I mean, you have Adventure of Link, where she's in a coma for the entirety of the game, Mm -hmm. and then there's A Link to the Past, where there's not a whole lot going on with Zelda. And then... Um, yeah. I, I, and I feel like when Ocarina of Time came out, and pretty much every successor uh, to, to the series from that point on, pretty much just had Zelda, you know, she ends up getting put in these positions where she has to make these these difficult choices and oftentimes yes it does end up in her getting captured or her being like incapacitated in some way but it also usually leads to the eventual victory and i would even argue in ocarina of time too like if i know people are going to hate this because i'm bringing up the timeline but you know in the downfall timeline the hero is defeated but guess what happens ganon is still sealed away by zelda and the sages so Technically speaking, she does save herself in that timeline. Yeah, that's true. I, I think, like, there are some offenders to this where Zelda's just captured needlessly. Minish Cap comes to mind. She's captured pretty much right away. Yeah. By by Vadi. Um, to be fair, though, like, Vadi you know, was brand new in Minish... Like, not brand new to us because we'd played Four Swords, but brand new to Zelda and, and company, you know? So he just shows yeah. up. He's the demon. He's a demon and super powerful in magic. So I understand that, but yeah, it was kind of... I, I would kind of argue against, like, it... I think that it is a little bit lame that, like, as soon as Zelda revealed herself as Sheik, she got captured, but, uh, you know, I think... I think she was able to more than make up for that with, uh, you know, the end fight with Ganon and, and helping seal her away or seal him away. So, um, you know, I, I, I think what, what our answer is, is like, it's not really fair to say, you know, she gets captured all the time, um, except for in the very first couple of games or it was very much the norm back then to, you know, have a damsel in distress. Yeah. It's, so there's always some other circumstances going on. It's definitely an ev- like an evolution of the times for sure, and where you know, and and this is also a thing in Japan, like spe- culturally specifically, like in Japan, uh, the societal differences 
that have changed, you know, so much over the course of history, like with with how women are viewed and treated culturally and traditionally, as opposed to how those those things have changed both there and in the modern world. So with the development of, of Zelda games, you definitely see that dramatic shift between, you know, the the rise of you know more equal treatment towards towards women, towards you know people of of um, non-traditional I, stereotypes is the wrong word but non-traditional like orientations or or um associations and, and affiliations like it it's really interesting to see that that change and how like it's almost immediate too like when you when you see it like how strong she is and how strong a lot of the female characters in in zelda have become and are portrayed as in such a short span of time is is actually pretty miraculous all right so moving on to our next question and this is the third and final question from our friend yapis simply put who's better sidon or rivali sidon my answer is not rivali yeah so there you go um moving right <laughs> we just that. there's nothing our next to question <laughs> Yeah, Rivoli sucks. We all know that. Uh, so our next question comes from Averages. Would you change from the fantasy setting in the next Zelda or in a future Zelda? For example, would you have a Breath of the Wild style game, but in a steampunk setting? I never, I never say never. I would never say no to trying anything new. Um, you know why not? Yeah, it's it's one of those things for me. Maybe maybe not like a mainline like actual Zelda game, but if we're talking like a spinoff, like kind of Triforce Heroes esque title, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I think it, it's interesting because I've always been one of those people who has loved kind of like the medieval fantasy genre, like high, whether it's high fantasy or low fantasy. Like I love medieval stuff, and I love. Uh, and I've always loved Zelda's, you know, interpretation of that in its own in its own world. And you know, I'm I'm totally not opposed to seeing it in different in different forms, like perhaps steampunk or maybe even sci-fi if they could get away with it. See, I was gonna say I would totally be down for sci-fi. I actually, before we found some real writers to write Fan Fiction Friday, I was starting to write some. Uh, it was like a Zelda Blade Runner crossover kind of thing, and. Uh... I, my my attention span is about as long as my arm, so it petered off pretty quickly. But but I think that would be really cool to see. Yeah, I, I, I would want... I think I would ultimately want Zelda to remain medieval fantasy, but I I don't think I would really mind if it if it took a, a rather different turn at some point just for just for kicks, just to see what would happen. Yep, I'd be, uh, I'd be totally fine with that. All right, next question is... You know what? This question was actually from me. But I, and I was hoping that someone would ask it, but uh, nobody did. So I just wanted to talk about it really quickly. There was a story that came out last week, and it was from uh, Anthem, the video game coming out in February from Bioware. Um, they, they were talking to Anthem's lead developer, executive producer Mark Dara, and uh, they were discussing the failure of Mass Effect Andromeda and if it received a fair shake. And so what he basically said was, um, I think that Mass Effect Andromeda came out in a really, really busy window of RPGs, perhaps the busiest um, in the history of the games industry, where five RPGs launched in the same month. So, um, 
basically the interviewer asked him to make his answer more concise because that's not really an answer at all. And so he, he basically said, like, how about it didn't succeed because it came out in the same month as Zelda? Do you think that that had uh, any... Do you think that Zelda had any negative impact on Mass Effect Andromeda? Okay, so this is a really hard question to answer because, like, I've worked in various forms in the game industry for quite some time now, and I've seen a couple of different sides to this. And ultimately, I think that, you know, like movies, choosing your release time or your release window is definitely important. But ultimately, like, if you make a really, really good game and, you know, people out there play it, even if it's just, you know, a thousand or five thousand or a hundred thousand, you know, if those people get out there and spread the word, which most people do, they like to talk about the things they're interested in, I think that, and if you market it well as well, which... I feel like Bioware absolutely does with with its Mass Effect franchise. You know, it you know, mm-hmm. people are aware of it. They're not saying, "Oh, you know, Zelda's coming out next month or this month," and you know, so is Mass Effect. Oh my God, I'm totally forgetting Mass Effect and just getting Zelda. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's just a matter of there were a lot of factors going into. Andromeda's release that unfortunately just handicapped the crap out of it. And and this is it's See, funny too cuz you and I, I both love the game. Fair. Yeah. I'm a yeah, I'm a big Mass Effect fan. I love all of them. I have all the books and everything like that. Yeah. So. I I don't think he's entirely wrong. No, he's not. He, um because because there it, like there was a packed couple of uh of weeks there cuz you had Zelda come out, you had Horizon Zero Dawn come out, you had uh Near Autonoma come out. You had Mass Effect come out, and you know there there is that when the, when you have a bunch of games that come out in quick succession, obviously some things do get left behind. I'll use I'll never forget November two thousand eleven as a, a crazy time for me because I had just bought, you know there was in that time frame, uh, Batman Arkham City came out, Skyrim came out, Skyward Sword came out, Assassin's Creed three came out, and it was like it was all these awesome games I wanted to play. So eventually I never ended up playing Skyrim, and I didn't play that until probably about two years ago now. And so it took a long time, but it on the same level, I thought, I thought Andromeda was great, but you, there were definitely problems with that game during production. And it, you know, I mean, let's be fair. It didn't please a lot of mass effect fans. So that's, that's another, you know, that's another knock against it. And that's another reason why it didn't do well at all. So it, it, it may have got itself off to a disadvantage when it released, but I'll use a movie as an example here. You, um, The Rock's Jumanji came out in a pretty packed time. It came out right around the same time as Star Wars did. But the movie was really good. So it kept on gaining positive word of mouth. And, you know, it chipped away and chipped away. And eventually it made over a billion dollars. So, like, obviously it, it was able to overcome its its release slot and do very well. And I think if Andromeda was more of a... If it was the game that Mass Effect fans, by and large, wanted, it would have done the same, but it didn't. Yeah, ult- so I think that he's got he he's fair to a point. Ultimately, I think this is also just un- it's it's an unfair comparison too, because again, as you pointed out, like in the interview, he was kind of forced to condense his answer, and I, I like obviously yes, the release window is important. I 
we can never take that away whether it's you know movies games sometimes even books like it's it is important but it's not the end all be all we can't blame everything on that we can't say oh yeah that was the most important problem that they had because in andromeda's case at least it absolutely wasn't so i i think we're both agreed no, on there that. there was that was a that was a long and storied uh production cycle on that game yeah um which probably the, the listeners of this podcast probably don't really care about and that's neither here nor there anyways so we'll just skip on to the next question which comes from friend of the show spam zelda fanboy do you think a 2d zelda could come out to the switch while we're waiting for the next big game or are we done with 2d in favor of big open world titles i have wondered this exact same question myself because it seems like it seems unlikely to me that Nintendo would release a 2D Zelda for let's say 40 bucks on the same system that the big 3D Breath of the Wild is on for $80. And so the 3DS used to always be the answer to that because you would have your smaller Zelda games go on the 3DS. But I I think that I mean the 3DS is definitely on its last legs and I don't know if there's room for you know another like dedicated handheld console and the switch in the same market from Nintendo. Um, so I don't know, like part of me, part of me thinks that 2d Zelda won't go away, but like the other part of me finds it unlikely to, to see that released, you know, for the switch for a lesser price. Yeah. If that makes dis- sense. Despite my, you know, wrong prediction and that, at E3, we were going to get maybe a, a Link's Awakening or some something similar uh, remake announcement. I I don't think that that's still an impossibility. I think that it will happen. When it will happen, I don't know. Will it be for the Switch? I'm kind of in the same camp you are in thinking that it's unlikely, at least mm-hmm. right now, while the 3DS is still alive. Um. If the 3DS ever dies and they don't come out with another console that's specifically meant to just be, you know, their, oh, this is our handheld console, you know, I think, I think the Switch, the Switch is definitely trying to move in on that, and I think Nintendo's just trying to consolidate their stuff and be like, yeah, we don't want to develop two consoles like every other uh, game company yeah. out there right now. We just want to focus on one, we'll just make it do everything. And I like that approach, and the Switch really works with that. So I think while the 3DS is still alive, yes, there's still a hope, but it's not going to be for the Switch. Uh, and then if the 3DS, uh, when it ever goes out, then obviously we can start thinking more about 2D Switch releases. I I think at this point, it's more likely that we get that kind of 2D Zelda on our cell phones rather True. than on the Switch. Yeah, that that's a good point. Uh, I really point. think that that's the way it's going to go. And you know what? I know that sounds really ominous, and and a lot of people are probably just like, "Oh no, not Zelda on my cell phone! That's gonna be garbage." But, but there is a really cool Stranger Things game on cell phones, and it's uh, it's it's great, and it's free. And you know, if they wanted to charge, if they want to expand on that and make it a uh, you know a premium title for like ten bucks, like Super Mario Run, I would buy that. Oh, um, the Stranger Things game was just a, a clone of A Link to the Past, so you know why not? Absolutely, absolutely. If if like I, I used to be one of those people who was like, oh, I hate cell phone games. I think they're the worst. But 
You know, nowadays mm-hmm. I think that they've just they've evolved to a level where they may not compete directly with mainstream consoles, but if you're looking for a good time or something to occupy you for 30 minutes, two hours, whatever, like cell phone games are becoming sophisticated enough to the point where I can totally imagine, you know, a really good 2D remake or a 2D Zelda game being done and executed flawlessly. I mean, let's put it this way. They've got Final Fantasy IX, Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy VII on your cell phone. Yeah. If that can run on your cell phone, then why not a 2D Zelda? Oh yeah, so, and, food for thought there. It, it, the other thing is, is like you know, your your cell phone is more advanced than computers were like ten years ago. So the fact that most of the games that we're talking about, like especially in the 2D Zelda realm, or even with Final Fantasy, like most of those games are designed on systems that have been outclassed by smartphones since the iPhone's inception. So <laughs> it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. All right. Last question comes from Fear Gal. Um, and she, or he, I don't know, asks, which of the official Dark Horse books is the best one? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say I haven't read Zelda Encyclopedia yet. I just so ordered mine today, but I've read, I've read a lot of it because like Amazon does that whatever, the preview kind of thing to where if you buy a book, you can preview like the first hundred pages or some some stuff like that. So I've been reading right. through that. Um, yeah, I, I I think Hyrule Historia for me. Uh, it was just like there's just, just a lot of like cool little lore stuff in there, and I'm not like the biggest Zelda lore guy. I've I've said before that I I think it's more interesting to see how Zelda pertains to like the real world, like the gaming world, versus like the the lore of it itself. But there is uh, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff in there that uh, that. You know, I never knew about it. Give us our first preview of the timeline, so fair shake, fair yeah. shake. Hyrule Historia would be my answer. I I'll, I'll preface my answer with just like you know, dis- despite the flaws of both both books, <laughs> because there are some definitely, and the f- uh, sure. and the flaws in Nintendo's method of storytelling when it comes to Zelda. I'm I'm gonna say that the encyclopedia, after having read uh, the preview so far and and seeing other excerpts uh, over the past uh, three or four weeks, I want to say, um, I would say the Zelda encyclopedia just because it contains a lot of like modern versions of what the lore is. So like they give a neat explanation of you know what the Kokiri actually are. You know, talking about the Dark Realm, talking about, you know, all, all these different things that make Zelda what it is and kind of give us a, you know, at least a for now definitive, you know, this is what it is and this is how it is. So we're, we're left wondering a lot less and theorizing a lot less about about those things. So for now, Encyclopedia, which, by the way, came out in North America two weeks ago. So if you have not picked up your copy go ahead uh, on Amazon. I'm not sure if it's for Prime members only, but it is currently on sale. Instead of being like 30 some odd bucks, it's like 23. So if you haven't picked it up, go give it a fair shake. For anyone that doesn't live in America, he's just thrown mud right into your eyeballs because that's not true if well, you're in Canada. Well, so, I, I thank yeah. Thank you very much. In, in, I don't know. Well, because 
I forget how the how no, Amazon no, no, works. It's okay. Just just crush us like that. That's I'm okay. not trying to. I promise. I was just saying, like, this is my obviously my experience, and I live in it's America. Okay. So. Me and me and the rest of the world will just pay more for our copy and be uh, be glad that we get it at all. I guess so. Well, maybe it's still discounted in Canada, but because you guys pay extra for everything anyway, it's not as big of a discount. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know. Um, but that does it for our uh, for our questions so far uh, that we were able to wrangle up on such short notice. So uh, not a bad little selection of questions, uh, I don't think at all. Yeah, it was a little fun and enjoyable. And even the sillier questions, we still managed to uh, get a little bit of water out of the drain so to speak or water out of the desert <laughs> all right so and i'm i want to tentatively announce something but the keyword is tentatively because we're still trying to figure out the logistics of it but we are going to try and put together another champions cast live episode um it's not going to be on twitch because we're going to record it during the zelda dungeon marathon which will of course be taking over all the zelda dungeon twitch channels but we're looking into doing maybe Facebook Live or like, uh, I don't know. What's that thing they had on Twitter? Periscope? Yeah. Is that even still a thing? It, it, the yeah, Periscope is like a, a mobile phone. Maybe we'll, do, maybe we'll do Instagram TV. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, we're looking into our options and we're going to try and put something together for you. And we're going to try and bring you behind the scenes of the Zelda Dungeon Marathon where Taylor and I will both be attending in Chicago in uh, 12 days. So uh, we're going to try and get that together for you guys. Um so yeah, you can look forward to that, not next week, but the week after. And with that, I think that's it. That's episode 17 here on the Champions Cast. So, any final words? Uh, I don't know. I think uh, I'm uh, really excited for the marathon, and I hope, uh, I hope we... I'm really excited to get back to Twilight Princess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I hope we see... Uh, I hope we see a lot of our listeners there in the in the Twitch chat as as we play because it'd be really fun interacting with you guys in a live format like we did with, at E3 and we're also looking to bring more of those shows as well as as Andy was saying so that's right all right well that is episode 17 of the Champions Cast we'd like to thank you for listening as always head over to Podbean head over to iTunes drop us a like drop us a comment subscribe to the Champions Cast. Don't forget to go over to Teespring's slash store slash Zelda Dungeon and check out your Zelda Dungeon Marathon merchandise where you can get that sweet, sweet Heel Spateri t-shirt. Uh, feel free to go and head over to Twitter. You can follow me at Spateri316. You can follow Taylor at GIF underscore Bluehawk. For this week, we are out of here. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next week. Later, everybody. Thank you.